Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When Joe took the White House, Kamala became Veep. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> Kamala Harris, the first woman, the first black woman, the first part Asian woman, the repository of a million hopes. For nearly half a year into the life of the administration, and for Harris, it's been a slog, not a glide. She's seen at the moment, increasingly, as stacking up the losses without anything to show for the first six months. She needs a success, she needs a win. So, half a year into the Biden administration, looked at objectively, how is the heir apparent measuring up? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Tough times for the Veep. Can Kamala come through? There's one other topic I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Let me just quickly put a button. Do you have any plans to visit the border? A few weeks ago, a video made the rounds online. The vice president was being interviewed by NBC star interviewer Lester Holt. This was a sort of slightly special assignment for him because he'd followed Kamala Harris, the, the, the vice president, down to Guatemala. She was on her first trip as the vice president. Alistair Dorber is the Washington correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. And one of the things that she's been asked to sort out by Joe Biden is the crisis on the border. So she went to Guatemala, which is the Central American company, with the exception of Mexico, that probably has the best relations with the states. So she went there with carrots and sticks to try and come up with ideas to stop thousands of Guatemalans trekking from home all the way up through Mexico to the US border. So as part of that trip, as politicians often do, they do a sort of sit-down interview to sort of mark their, their, their trip. And I mean, it was really nothing short of a car crash. She was there, obviously, to show that she was doing something about the crisis on the border. She sat down with Lester Holt, and he asked the perfectly normal, perfectly reasonable, perfectly acceptable question. You know, why haven't you actually been down to the border, the US-Mexican border, where the migrants are coming across? And she got completely flummoxed. You have any plans to visit the border? I'm here in Guatemala today at some point. You know, I... We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. She was asked about three times uh, and eventually came up with the line, well, you know, I haven't been to the border, but I haven't been to Europe either, which sort of left everyone wondering what on earth she was talking about. You know, Europe's not her job. She's not been asked to sort out relations with Europe. She's been asked to sort out the border. OK, what do you think she was trying to say? I don't think she sees going down to the border as the issue. I mean, she's the vice president. So her job, she thinks, is to set up the the policy, set up the framework, speak to leaders in places like Guatemala and Mexico. She went to Mexico a bit later. 
It's not to sort of meet and greet people on the border. But it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Why haven't you been to the place where the problem's happening? Well, you know, it, it's because I can't really do anything there. I mean, what, what's the answer to that question? You know, is because me turning up on the border wouldn't make the slightest bit of difference to anyone trying to cross. So it's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources and a waste of time. But I think that would probably sit quite badly with an American TV audience who want to see, see action. Yesterday, Politico reported that finally, after all the mounting pressure, sources close to Kamala have said she will visit the border after all, accompanied on the trip by Alejandro Mayorkas, head of the Department of Homeland Security. Something of a U-turn. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear... That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. For many watching the inauguration, it was an emotionally powerful moment. I mean, she's the first female vice president. She's the first vice president of colour. She's the first vice president to have a, an Asian background as well. So she brings, she, she connects with people in a way that perhaps Biden and people he surrounded himself with over the years doesn't bring. But I think there's a cost to that as well. You look back at the vice presidents in history. I mean, Lyndon Johnson and JFK didn't get on. They, they were at war during the, during the primary process when, when JFK was, uh, was elected. But JFK realised he needed to reach out to Democrats in the South, something he couldn't touch. So Johnson came in. Biden, when he was Barack Obama's vice president, he'd spent years, decades in the Senate and so knew how to work with, uh, work with Republicans and get legislation through. These were all sort of real policy, hard long-standing Washington veterans. Kamala Harris doesn't bring that. And so all the problems that Joe Biden currently has with Congress, she's not a great help to him. So as a result, she's doing things like the migrant crisis on the border. She's trying to sort out voting rights. OK, let's talk about the, the, the migration issue first, or more particularly, as people do talk about the border. And so I'm going to ask three obvious questions. First, what does going to the border mean? Where do you go to go to the border? Anywhere. It's thousands of miles long. I mean, I, I was in Texas about six weeks ago, I think it was, um, on the Rio Grande River, which really is, I mean, it's, it's narrower than the, the Thames in many parts and you can walk across, you can walk through the river. It's extremely easy. Um, there's no infrastructure. And so people are, are, are crossing there. And typically what they're doing is setting off from places like, we've mentioned Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Costa Rica, and they're taking a month walking, taking buses, getting lifts, all the way through Mexico to, to various places at the border. I mean, obviously, there are, there are places that are difficult to cross because the terrain's not great, and obviously there are places that are difficult to cross because Trump's border wall has been, has been built in some places. But where I was, in the Rio Grande Valley, it's, it's extremely easy to cross there. What, what impression did you get from being down there? I mean, was it that it was now so big it was chaotic, that it was much worse than it had ever been before? Or did you find a situation which was just, it, there were just more people than before, but essentially carrying on with a process that had been going on for some time? I spoke to the mayor of Rio Grande City, which is a sort of dusty, low-rise place right on the border, the rivers on, it, on its southern border. And he was kind of phlegmatic about it. He was saying that, look, you know, yes, the numbers are very high at the moment. And yes, 
the people in my city are talking about spikes in crime rates and things like that. But he said, frankly, you know, there have been spikes in the past and we, we deal with it here. It's not something we want to deal with, but we deal with it. I think... That was from a sort of administrative point of view. There are also charities there. There are also holding centres there, where especially children, a lot of children who are unaccompanied went. And they were saying they were completely overwhelmed by the number of people. There was a, a Catholic nun who runs a, a sanctuary for people that have crossed the border. She helps to with their legal services, gives them a change of clothing, and there's lots of young children coming across, so there's, there's food and toys for the kids. She was saying it's the busiest they've ever been before and saying that a lot of the people crossing the border are in a really, really bad state. I mean, a lot of them have been, have been travelling for, for a month or so before they get there. They're exhausted, they're tired, some of them are sick. A lot of them had coronavirus, you know, so it was, you know, they, they were trying to sort of isolate those people as well. It was a really, really desperate situation. I think. Are they in a worse condition because they're actually coming from further away than they used to? I mean, I think it's a well-trodden path. I mean, it's, a, it's something that the people smugglers have made a lot of money out of for, for a long time. Two big drivers, I think, at the moment are coronavirus and the, the, the devastation that's caused to the economies in places like Guatemala. But also, there was a particularly bad hurricane season there last year. And a lot of people's property was wiped out. If they had small businesses, they were destroyed as well. And I think that's one of the key drivers that people are thinking, well, we've lost everything here. Let's throw a lot in and take our chances in the US. So there are some circumstances, recent circumstances, that have given rise to a, a very big change. To what extent has there been more people trying to cross the border because they see the Biden-Harris administration as being somehow more accommodating and more liberal? I think that's part of it. The Homeland Security Secretary here, not long after the Biden administration came into office, made a speech where he was very sympathetic to migrants. We are dedicated to achieving, and quite frankly, are working around the clock, to replace the cruelty of the past administration uh, with an orderly, humane, uh, and safe immigration process. It is hard, and it will take time. But rest assured, we are going to get it done. Deliberately changing tack and changing tone from from the sort of very anti-migrant, very anti-immigration stance of the Trump uh, administration. So yeah, I think that people... Republicans, the, the opposition here to the to the administration, would say that the Biden administration is a soft touch on immigration. Well, I, I tell you what's difficult to weigh up from what you said, because you said two very interesting things. Um, one is that you have the circumstances back in the host countries which are so intolerable people move. And the second is that a degree of liberalisation on the border might encourage them. Uh, I suppose the question is, had there still been the Trump administration in power, would the circumstances in those countries still have impelled the movement? And if not, what what otherwise would have happened? I, I think it would. I mean, maybe people wouldn't have come across in such big numbers. I mean, the highest numbers for 20 years. But people have been crossing the border throughout the Trump administration. In some cases, thousands of people a month. You know, his rhetoric, his... You know, suppose crap down the building of the border wall, the sort of symbolism clearly put people off. It's not very welcoming, but it didn't fall to zero. It didn't fall to a trickle under Trump. Now, when Joe Biden became president, he gave this job to Kamala Harris. Um, and at the first sight, it looks like he takes on to himself the job of giving everybody lots of money as a result of getting rid of the pandemic and dealing with the pandemic. And he gives her the job 
that is nearly impossible. Yeah, and it's not just on this issue. On on voter rights, he makes speeches about how it's intolerable that um, southern states are passing uh, are passing laws that civil rights leaders say make it more difficult for, for black people to vote. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people standing in line waiting to vote. Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work. Deciding that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances. He makes the speech and, and, and gets the credit for it, but he's given her the job of persuading southern states not to do it and then to introduce legislation in Congress as a sort of safety net at a federal level to stop these laws coming into, into effect. She, she's got a, a lot on her plate. and I think migration is, is the biggest headache, but she's got lots of problems in her, in her injury. We started off with the interview she gave because she took the trip to Guatemala. And I think she's also been to Mexico as well, hasn't she? Yeah, she's on on the same trip, that's right. On the same trip. Um, Her objective was what? Because some of the headlines were she went to Guatemala to tell people don't bother coming to the United States. And that's how it was written up. Is that, is that what she said or did she say that and more? Yeah, her objective was, was exactly that. I mean, she, she managed to get across when she was in Guatemala, do not come to the States. That, that was her message, do not come. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. But she also went with handouts as well to sort of back that up. Half a million coronavirus jabs, for example, money for aid projects. I think it was $26 million that the US is going to hand over to, to Guatemala to, to help communities that have been hardest hit by the hurricanes and the, and the virus. It was that, do not come, but I'm here to help out and make things better for you here. There are carrots as well as sticks. Was the money she was giving, she's been, she's offering to Guatemala, etc., big enough to make a difference back there? And... Second, does she convince anybody that they wouldn't have a better life if they could cross the border? No, I mean, it's not enough money. And also the other problem, as we touched on earlier, is it's not a quick fix. You don't write the cheque, hand it over, and then everyone's life is, is, is suddenly improved. We get monthly figures on the number of people crossing. We'll see, I suppose, in the coming months whether or not her trip has had any immediate impact. The trend certainly is for each month for record numbers of people to to arrive. So it'll be, I mean, it'll be a significant success if the numbers in June are suddenly at 130,000 down from 180,000 last month. And she'll no doubt take huge amounts of credit from that. But if I was going to put a bet on it, I think we'll have record numbers coming next month and the number will be higher next month than it was last month. Now, I imagine at the same time as that's happening... She's getting people from both sides, giving her a good going over. I mean, we've talked about her going to Guatemala and saying, don't come. I can imagine there are some people on the left of uh, American politics who think you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a number of left-wing Democrats in Congress who think that she shouldn't be encouraging people not to come. These people are are the victims of people smugglers. They should be welcome in the US, um, say lots. The, the, the view of people like AOC and other members of the, the squad, the sort of the, the, the progressive, the left-wing 
On the other hand, you've got the right of the Republican Party who say that, and, and to use language that they would find comfortable, you know, Texas and the southern states are being swamped with migrants. The US can't afford to take responsibility for these people. And the administration, and, and, and Kamala Harris in particular, is responsible for, 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 for these people coming over. Are, are the Republicans targeting her in particular over migration? Yeah, they, they see it, I think, especially in, in the southern states, as an easy win. You know, migration is largely unpopular. So they see her her trips to Guatemala, where she her, the, the interviews with CNN don't go very well. They see the numbers spiking each month as, as sort of as open goals, really, to attack her on. Next week, we've got Donald Trump going to Texas with Greg Abbott, the, the governor. He's going to go down to the border, I think, to make hay at her expense. I mean, I think she is seen as, a, as an easy target at the moment. And caucus in, in Congress really do feel that America should be a place where people can come, leave hardship behind behind and and, and, and realise the potential of, of the American dream. I mean, it's an old-fashioned view, but it's something that's resonated in Democrat circles for, for, for decades. You know, people should be able to come to the States and, and make a better life for themselves. Now, we've, we've talked a bit about the package that they're proposing. Is there more to come? I mean, is there a significant amount of extra money for the countries where the migrants come from about to come? And is there any perception that she has about the timetable on this? Because one of the things we know is that things are so tight for the administration that a bad result in the midterm elections in two years' time, and they could find it impossible to get any policy done. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, in a way, the midterms might not be the greatest problem as far as the migration issue is concerned. Obviously, the immigrants, the migrant, the undocumented people are coming in through the southern border. I mean, most of these states are red states controlled by the Republicans who aren't going to vote Democrat anyway. And in terms of her timetable, it's very difficult to say. I mean, from a personal point of view, her eyes are very much on the White House. She would very much like to be the next president. And with a 78-year-old president currently in Joe Biden, that moment may come sooner rather than later. She probably has got more money. The administration's hands might be tied. I mean, if we see month throughout each month this year, the numbers going up and increasing, the administration is going to have to change tack and throw more money at the problem, put more border guards on, on the board, although there are, there are plenty there already, and perhaps get a bit tougher with some of these governments in Central America and threaten to cut off things like aid, military assistance, and all the things that countries in Central America, allies in Central America, like to get from Washington. So there are other levers she can pull. The problem is, it's going to be, as I say, it's a slow burn. It's going to be very difficult to get any sort of short-term success on a problem like this. But at the same time, you do have the Republicans, you do have the left of the Democrat Party, as you mentioned, who are being very critical because of the immediate problem. She can't solve the problem overnight. Coming up, what do Americans think of their vice president now? That's in just a moment. But first, a pop-up from our Poppy. Hi, Poppy Damon here, the editor of the Stories of Our Times podcast. The news, the views, the analysis, the investigations, the exclusives, the interviews and the business. Get more of The Times and The Sunday Times for less with 50% off a digital subscription for six months. Sale now on and it ends June 29th. Subscribe today at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk more generally about her, Alistair. How popular is she with the public right now? And how does that compare with popularity of vice presidents we have known, loved or not loved? Her poll ratings are around the 40% mark. She's viewed favourably around the 40% mark, which isn't hugely different from other vice presidents in the past at this stage. I mean, don't forget this administration is still still less actually than six months old. So I think they can still claim in some part to be to be enjoying their honeymoon. Um, Joe Biden's ratings, incidentally, are, are quite a bit higher. He's he's not slipped below 50% yet. People seem to be reasonably happy with, with the job he's doing. But again, it depends who you ask. <laughs> within democratic circles, within liberal circles, you know, on the East and West Coast, she's seen as a beacon of progress. You know, yes, she might be struggling with one or two of the policies at the moment, but, you know, she's still seen as someone who's breaking several glass ceilings all at the same time. So, I mean, we've talked about her problems, but she's good at things on the sort of, I don't know, the soft power kind of thing. I mean, to the absolute horror of the of the Secret Service, she took part in the Pride March in Washington last weekend. It's this sort of thing that really energises her base and, and, and the base of many in the Democrat Party. So, you know, she's popular with her base and she's growing increasingly unpopular with people that she was probably going to be unpopular with anyway. It's the middle in America that you know, everyone knows that candidates have to win. And again, it may be that by the time we get to the next election, she's sorted out things largely on the board. You know, the numbers are are falling. Um, the Guatemalans, the El Salvadorians, they are playing ball. It's just that at the moment she's taking a hit because it's very easy to criticise in the short term, actually quite difficult to do anything about the problems she's got until much further on. But also if she does have to stand in a, a set of primaries for the next presidential election, it's her base who will be voting, not the American electorate in general, that happens later. Yeah, but then, you know, she would then have to put herself to the American people. Exactly. And as I said, she wants the job. She clearly wants the job. I mean, it was said that when Biden and her were inaugurated in, in January, you know, January the 20th was the day that st- she started campaigning for the presidency. I mean, normally a vice president would think, well, I've got four or eight years like Joe Biden had, and then I have a crack at the White House. Given Biden's age, it, it, the timing isn't, isn't quite as straightforward as that. But where does this idea that Kamala Harris is failing come from? Is it mostly a media thing? Um, that's increasingly becoming the narrative, certainly on you know, certain broadcasters. Did this trip to Central America, Mexico, Guatemala, did it do more harm than good for the administration? Would China grasp at a reason 
why she seems disinterested in the assignment she was given from the president. You have a vice president that's been tapped to fix the problem that she has no interest in solving. Here we have a chronic complainer, it appears, and not a doer. Her problem is that she's got lots of problems and she's, she's not got very many wins to show for herself. She needs a win and she needs to be able to have her vice presidency galvanized around something. It's not altogether clear where that comes at the moment, especially in the short term. What else falls under her remit? What other big, tricky questions has she been put in charge of? Voting rights is is one of the other big ones. So you, you have to go back to the presidential election last year when Donald Trump wrongly claims that election fraud took place in various states that were very close and that the election was stolen. I mean, first thing to say, there is absolutely no evidence to support that at all. But what he has persuaded lots of Republican-led states to do is to look at how people vote in places like Texas and Georgia And what Republicans have done there, they're in the process of passing, or in some cases of past legislation, that civil rights leaders say will make it more difficult to to vote. So voting early, you know, people who are working in two jobs or struggling with childcare and everything else might not be able to turn up on election day. So they appreciate the fact that they might be able to vote early. The same with mail-in ballots. There are restrictions, bizarrely, that have been passed in some states on the limits on water that can be given to people queuing up to vote, which which was just bizarre. But anyway, these are some of the um, measures that have been passed. So what Kamala Harris is doing in Washington, she's trying to push through a bill through Congress that will essentially act as a safety net against some of these restrictions, which at a federal level will mean that some of these perceived limits on voting can't be implemented for presidential elections and other federal elections. Again, the problem is that there is a razor-thin Democrat majority in the Senate. Unless there are reforms, unless there's compromise, unless there's deals done, this voting bill isn't going to get through. And of course, the moment you start making deals, you start watering it down. And there's a danger that some of these restrictions on voting can can pass. Um, So that's a problem for her. Back to our top story now. The defeat of the For the People Act in the Senate yesterday. The vote was along party lines. Not a single Republican supported it. GOP lawmakers say the bill includes too much federal government overreach. Now Democrats are seeking alternative ways to push back against voting bills Republicans lawmakers are passing on the state level. This bill really was the Democrats' best chance uh, at tackling the restrictive uh, voting laws that have been proposed in, in various uh, red states. Uh, but on Tuesday night, that failed in, uh, in the Senate, uh, which means we're back to the drawing board pretty much on this. What about boosting vaccination? I mean, it's been possible to be popular in this country by being associated with a vaccination programme. Is that not possible in the States? It is. One thing that has been a huge success here has been the rollout of the vaccine. Anyone of any age now over the age of 12 can go and get a jab. There are 80-odd thousand points across the country. Biden reckons that 90% of the American people live within five miles of a centre where you can go and get vaccination. Compared to when he came into office, you know, very few people had had a jab. Now I think there are 300 million shots been, been put in people's arms. So that's a great win for them. The problem, as far as the vaccination rollout's concerned, is, as I just alluded to, the people that want to get it can get it. Certainly in some states, there are a hard core of refusenics who just do not believe that the vaccination is the right thing to do. And so it may be that in terms of political capital, the vaccine rollout is now sort of, the gains run from that are now coming to an end because it's really not, it's not, it's really not difficult to get a vaccine. I think it's 
where people want to travel or people want to sort of get back to normal uh, in places where there's still virus, that starts to become problematic because they think, well, I've had my two vaccines and yet there are still restrictions on what I can do because the administration isn't able, I should say, to, uh, to persuade some of the less inclined to get a jab. One of the things that happens under these circumstances, if the things you're associated with are not going to be easy wins, is you look for, I suppose, what you kind of call good optics. And I gather that Kamala Harris has been pretty active there. You mentioned the Pride appearance, but she also hosted a dinner, didn't she, for female members of Congress? Yeah, for female senators, that's right, at the, at the Naval Observatory, which is her, which is the vice president's official residence. It shows that she is supporting female politicians. She wants to give them a leg up. She played on this a great deal during the primary contest last year. As I said, she wants to break through and to be seen to be breaking through lots of glass ceilings. But I think as time goes by, it's fine getting the optics. It's fine having sort of lots of great pictures with lots of great people on Instagram and on social media. In time, she'll struggle if there aren't sort of major policy wins. I certainly don't think she'll want to be in a situation where Joe Biden gets all the credit for all the policy initiative and the policy wins. She'll need to be able to point to her own successes. There is a Machiavellian explanation, which is that Joe Biden, being a rather clever chap, put his vice president in charge of these really difficult things so that there was somebody to blame if things didn't work out. Now, this has the advantage of being one of those kind of narratives that everybody can understand and that is usually is completely untrue. But is it true in this case? Um, I think it's true to the extent that it always happens. I mean, when Joe Biden was the vice president, he got some pretty tough gigs from Barack Obama. Obviously, Joe Biden's, despite his age, has an eye on November 2024 and re-election. You know, he wants to be able to show that he's a president that gets things done. We've had all sorts of bills going through Congress. He's, you know, he's had his climate change summit. He's obviously ratcheted up the rhetoric against Russia and China. He's a man who is is not standing still. He's a president that's not standing still. But you're right. I mean, he is the one who is taking a lot of credit for, for, for some of the things that the, the administration have driven through. Do you think that we can make a judgment yet about her performance as vice president and the chances that it would make her the nominee uh, should Joe Biden decide not to go for a second term? That's a very good question. I would err on no. Um, I'm sure that if you were to put that question to her, she would say, well, judge me on four years or three years rather than on, on five and a half months. Let my ideas, let my policies come into fruition. Let me do what I think I can do. Whether she has made significant gains in uh, three or four years' time. If we have this conversation again then, maybe we can sort of, I, I, I can sort of have a better assessment on whether I think she's done enough to, to have a tilt at the White House. I don't know, Alistair. You correspond. This is the old ask me again in four years' time. Yeah, well, it's, it, it, it's the, the art of sitting on the fence, I think, is, uh, is, uh, is, 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 what I'm trying to, is what I'm trying to achieve. Finally, Alistair, I'm bound to ask you this after the Hillary Clinton experience uh, and what many people feel about it. Harris, as you said, is the first woman to be vice president. Do you feel there's any sense in which people are gearing themselves up for a harsher judgment about her, partly because she is a woman? I yes, is the short answer to that question. Um, it's something obviously we've seen before. Uh, no female vice president before Kamala Harris. We've never had a woman president. It's clearly a hurdle that is, for whatever reason, very difficult to get over. We'll see what happens in four years' time. She has a chance. She has a better chance than I think anyone before. I think she has a better chance than Hillary Clinton did. She's put herself in pole position. 
Joe Biden has helped to put her in pole position. It will depend also on not just her performance, but also the performance of the administration. It will also depend on who the Republicans choose. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we could have a female Republican candidate for president and a female Democrat uh, candidate for president uh, in four years' time. Nikki Haley, who was Trump's ambassador to the UN, I mean, she is one of the frontrunners. I mean, we'll have to see how it works out as time goes by. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Washington correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times, Alastair Dorver. And you can read more of Alastair's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. Producers were Asya Fuchs and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by John Nichols. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or just some thoughts on what you've heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Listener.